This is a verse back in 1976, our country's 200th anniversary, that you heard almost every week being talked about and uh, concerning revival in America. <clears throat> when we come to um, chapter 7, Solomon had just uh, built the temple and uh, is praying this prayer. And <clears throat> he said in verse 13, if God shuts up the rain, in judgment, and locusts come on Israel, and there's judgment up upon them. He gives this promise, and he says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. I want to, let's see. I think I'll just preach from the ground down here. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about the hindrances for personal revival. And uh, <clears throat> next Sunday, March 12th, is a special time that has been set aside by the pastor for the preaching of God's word that will extend from Sunday over to Wednesday. And although the pastor is not calling this a revival meeting, uh, but, but more like a preaching conference, <clears throat> but anywhere the word of God is preached on a continual basis and we're focusing upon coming from our homes and being in services each of those four nights and days, uh, day and on Sunday, we ought to expect that God's word would work and revive us. Isaiah says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with them also that are of our contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. And so, here in that one verse in Isaiah, the word revive is used a couple of times. People at times need to be refreshed. They need to be revived. They need to be uh, encouraged when they're discouraged. And uh, we can grow weary. Galatians references that, to not to be weary in well-doing. Revival, true revival, what we're talking about today is spiritual revival. Uh, you can use that word revival in a number of places. I mean, you could say that a poor football team who's been losing could win a game and it would revive them. A person who's passed out can be revived with a cold bucket of water. A drowning man can be revived by mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. A thirsty man can be revived with water. But we're talking about spiritual revival. And, of course, uh, you have to be saved before you can be revived. But, but revival is something that 
is a biblical concept that we can be changed and we can be revived and we can uh, be energized. And I think that though this verse in 2 Chronicles 7.14 doesn't use the word revival, it, it, it all encompasses things that accompany revival. And the first thing we see here, it says, if my people who are called by my name. So the promises of revival and promises that he'll heal the land and hear them from heaven and forgive their sins is for those who are identified as his people. Those that are not his people, they're without Christ. They're aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They're strangers from God's promises and without God in the world. And so when this, this passage speaks of, oh, turn it on. Okay, it works when you turn it on. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will give their sins and will heal their land. And there's, there's some hindrances to this thing about revival. The lost man, of course, needs to be saved. He can't be revived. And you, uh, being dead in your trespassing sins and uncertainty of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him and forgiven all your, all your trespasses. And that's just uh, to say that, that uh, you, unless you're saved, you can't be revived. And I'll put a little note there. There's been a number of times that I've heard people give a testimony and they'll say, well, I was saved when I was young. Well, it, you know, 10, 11, 12. But, now, but then when I was 25 years old, I went forward and rededicated my life. Well, sometimes they didn't rededicate anything. That's when they got saved. But so the point is, is that God cannot revive us unless we've been born again. But what I want to, want to look at this evening is what are some things that can stop revival? If we're going to have a meeting next week, we should desire that, that, when, we, that when the meeting is ended, that we're better off spiritually. If we want to just have some fellowship, you know, come on over to the house. We'll barbecue some stuff and we can... Uh, you know, watch some football games uh, or not basketball games or hockey games or whatever and uh, have some fellowship. But we ought to desire to be changed. And the first enemy of revival is pride. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, God requires a humbling of our person in order to bless us. In Proverbs 16, or 6 and 16, it says, For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. That, that, that my pride can keep God from using me and reviving me. The word pride has a definition in the Old Testament, to rise up or to swell up, to be puffed up, uh, pride. It can be referring to the sea waves rising up. 
But when it talks about us, it's our nature saying, I'm okay. I don't need God. I can make my own way. I can call my own shots. And God specifically states there in Proverbs that he hates pride because of what it does to our lives. And everything else that's said there in that passage, shedding of innocent blood and other things, uh, revolve around this pride of life. And when he says, uh, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble, that's very, it's very sobering to realize that one who is our Heavenly Father can resist us. And that resistance comes with pride. And so if we're going to if we're going to experience God's working in our life, there needs to be a humility about us. The songwriter said, Oh Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Sin of revival, start the work in me. Thy words declare thou wilt supply our need. For blessing thou, O Lord, I humbly plead. Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogancy, and the evil way in the forward mouth. Proverbs 11 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made uh, fat. And so there ought to be uh, desire that when we enter into God's house, whether it's on a special meeting like we're going to have or on a day-by-day and week-by-week basis, there ought to be humility. How can we tell if we have a pride problem? How do I know that I've got a problem here? Well, pride refuses to listen, and it always interrupts others. A lot of times what pride does is that he's listening, but, but I mean, he's hearing you talk, but all the time that you're trying to say something to him, he's thinking in his mind, what's my comeback going to be? He doesn't really listen. Pride likes to talk about itself all the time. Pride has an intense desire to be noticed. Pride believes that it deserves everything it gets. Pride is not thankful. Pride cannot be corrected. Pride does not like to follow instructions. Pride exalts itself in the presence of others. Pride criticizes and tries to make itself look better by putting others down. Pride thinks of his own self first. And so pride is is kind of like a dandelion. You know, you can pluck out dandelions, but unless you get it all, and we seldom do, it's going to come back. And so pride is not something that I just deal with in a moment, and I don't have to worry about it uh, after that. But pride is something that I have to deal with (laughs) every day. It wants to put its old head up there. And uh, pride goes before instructions. I mean, pride goes before (laughs) instructions, destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And so, God's plan for healing, for forgiveness, 
for revival that flows down the river of humility. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, and that humbling means to bend the knee, to place ourselves under, to submit. We need to understand that when God found us, uh, he didn't find a prize, that we were lost, that we were nothing, altogether unprofitable. And if anything is going to be accomplished in our life that's valuable, it's going to be accomplished by him. And so God calls us to humble ourselves in his sight. The second enemy for revival is prayerlessness. If my people, which are called by my name, so humble themselves, deal with their pride, and pray. Prayerlessness is the, the first cousin to pride. F.B. Meyer said, the greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. And later, I don't know if you can see that bottom, but a guy by the name of Ravenhill said, the church is dying on its feet because it's not living on its knees. If people are going to be revived, they need to pray. Somehow we think that we've got our act together and we're just doing fine when actually we're poor and needy. G. Gordon Liddy uh, was one of the Watergate conspirators, and most of you young youngins don't even know about Watergate. But when he was released from prison, he said this, I have found within myself all I need and all I ever shall need. I am a man of great faith, but my faith, but my faith is in George Gordon Liddy. I have never failed me. Yet his body did fail him. And in March of 2021, he went the way of all men and died at 90 years old. And I'm sure that when he woke up in eternity, he realized that he, he had failed himself. And so that's why we need to pray. We need to seek the Lord. And not only can individuals get that way, but churches can get that way. Revelation talked about the church of Laodicea, and it said, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. That sometimes uh, churches can get in a place where, you know, they got it all together. And, and, and I've seen this in this church when I first came here. Uh, they were paying me a whopping salary of $830, and they had to make sure that you kept the uh, bank account, uh, you know, kept on top of the bank account because sometimes $830 check could bounce. And sometimes there was just $5 left in there. But, you know, there was a, there was a vibrancy about that new church. 
and a desire to serve the Lord and to look to the Lord and trust in the Lord. And, and then if we're not careful, as more and more people come and the bank accounts get up into the thousands of dollars and, and you know, we just become automatic. We just put, you know, put things on automatic payment and, and we just start running our lives on automatic. Then the urgency of prayer seems to uh, go away. And the, acknowledge, the acknowledgement of that, that we cannot do anything without him, that we're profoundly in need of his working in our lives. We live in a society where uh, we pray for a few minutes and rush off to have our instant oatmeal, our instant coffee, we stop at McDonald's for fast food. Uh, but God is not in the business of standing at a window uh, to meet our fast food needs or our spiritual needs. He shouldn't be, shouldn't be treated that way. But God is, God is a God who is saying, not that I'm going to supply your needs rapidly, but he's a God who's saying, be still. Be still and know that I am God. The quietness. We live in a society that's, that's ramped up. And uh, God would have us to be still and to pray. The Bible says, Stand in awe and sit not. Commune with your own heart, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Psalms 46, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And so revival is about our personal relationship with our God and prayerlessness will stifle that revival. Deuteronomy says, but if thou then shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. And if thou shalt seek him with all thine heart and with all thy soul. And so what happens is that we pray a few minutes and think that we're ready for a special meeting. We recite our list that we have, make requests, and that's not wrong. But uh, the church needs to pray and humble themselves. Now, linked to this is the third enemy is seeking the wrong priorities. If my people were to call by my name, one shall humble themselves, and two pray and seek my face. That word seek means to search out by any method, especially by worship and prayer. And I put here in this yellow, I think the, the key to the whole thing that we need to remember. Revival does not come to people who seek revival. We have a, the great, I mean, Fox News and the newspapers and Almost every day you see something about the Ashbury Revival. And people are fascinated by that. 
And people are going there hoping somehow, I mean, they find it, the town is only 6,000 people and they had, they had tens of thousands of people coming there and finally they had to close it down and move it out of, out of the school property there, at, uh, there in Ashbury, Kentucky. Uh, and people are, they wanting to go and they wanting to somehow get a spine tingling experience out of that. And uh, I don't even think that the gospel is being presented in, in those meetings. But revival doesn't come to people who seek revival, but uh, people who seek God. If my people who are called by their name will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that it's our hunger not to be blessed, it's a hunger not to be changed, but it's a hunger for Him. Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. We need to seek Him. It's a matter of priorities. We ought to have, you know, uh, our priorities straight. I have here in my notes, what's your top priority? Is it your job? Is it your bank account? Is it your family? Is it your church? Is it your spouse? Is it your hobby? Well, none of those things are wrong at all. But we must put God first before all those things. And as I seek Him then all those things come into line that, that uh, all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, and so he ought to be the center of uh, all our compartments of life. Center of my job, the center of my bank account, center of my family, center of my hobby. I want you to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 8 here and verse 11. And we have a very interesting statement. And Solomon, I mean, Solomon's just, just in chapter 7, he's saying this prayer, if my people are called by my name, and then in chapter 8, and it came to pass at the end of 20 years, so it's been a while, wherein Solomon had built the house of the Lord in his house, his own house, that the cities were Huram, and he builds a bunch of cities. And then when you get down to verse 11, it says, And Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh, out of, out of Egypt, he brought, Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh out of the city of David unto the house that he had built for her. For he said, My wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places are holy whereunto the ark of the Lord hath come. And so, uh, he, he, uh, he married this heathen woman, the daughter of Pharaoh, and he brought her back 
And he said, okay, uh, you're going to stay in this house, and you can't come over to this house because this is the house of David, and the ark was there, and it's a holy place. And so what is he doing? Well, he's compartmentalizing his life. Here, this is one thing, but this is another thing, that, that you can stay over there, but, but you can't come over here. And so, so we put our, our life into little compartments, that this is, the Lord's going to be the head of this, but this is something, this is secular, and this is spiritual. No, listen, God is either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And, and what we need to do is to seek his face. And Solomon, what happened? You listen, when he had this little compartment, he put his wife in there, the daughter of Pharaoh, and then he had the house of God and places where God's influence has been. You know what happens? One of them overcomes the other one. And it did. He ended up having 700 wives. And you know what he did? He went up into the mountains of Israel and made places of worship for their false gods. The groves that he grew. Well, if we're going to have revival, we're going to have to come to the place to understand that we need to seek God's face and not have that faulty logic that Solomon had. And then, uh, I'm kind of cutting some of this short here. Um, and then the fourth enemy is failure to turn from one's wicked ways. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Revival is the turning from sin to embrace holiness. We are to fake our sins and embrace holiness. Sin must be confessed and turned from he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Our nation is a nation of glaring hypocrisy. We need more money for the schools. So we're going to legalize and promote gambling. We need to stop teen pregnancies. So we give out birth control and abortion clinics are recommended. We want to balance the budget. So the way to balance the budget is not to reduce spending, but increase taxes. We want to stop the spread of AIDS. So we practice safe sex. And uh, it's no wonder that uh, there's no revival in America. But in our own personal lives, if we're not willing to, to turn from our wicked ways, neither will there be any revival in our lives. And so, as we look forward to this special time of preaching, understand that that, uh, yes, we need to pray that God would give Pastor Lambert the messages that he would have for us. But also, we need to prepare ourselves. 
If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, that we ought to come nightly with a humility about us and a prayer, Lord, uh, speak to me tonight. Lord, show me what you want. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. That we ought to pray about this. We ought to ask God to work, to pray <coughs> and seek my face. That we would come and be able to leave each night with a, with a renewed or maybe a new outlook upon who our God is. To seek his face. To want to know what he's doing. And, and you know, and a lot of times you're looking, looking at the face of someone to see what they want you to do. Or they give, them, give you a signal or something. To seek God's face. To know him. To experience him. To want to uh, immediately obey. And then... Surely, in some instances, there's going to be sin that's pointed out, that's lied hidden for a number of days, and we need to forsake it. And if we will, we can leave Wednesday evening saying, it was good to be in the house of God. You see, uh, we have a role to play in revival. And so, pray for that week to succumb. I pray for Brother Lambert and follow these principles that we might humble ourselves, that we might pray, that we would seek his face, and that we would turn from our wicked ways. All right? You're dismissed. <laughs>